Good morning, everybody. You can hear the sleigh bells ringing in the background there. That's my daughter. I love Christmas, so I'm glad it runs in the family. Um, well, welcome. Uh, let me add my welcome to everybody else. We are going to um, get towards the end of our current teaching series today. So this is the penultimate installment in the series, Modern Questions, Ancient Answers. Um, I don't know how much of the series you've been here for. I, um, I'm, I also lead a church up, up the road as part of a, um, a church graft, a revitalization project um, from St. Thomas's. A team of us are moving up the road to revitalize a congregation up there. And um, it's a real joy. But one of the things it does mean is that I'm not always here every Sunday, but I've been diligently catching up on all of the talks, and I can't recommend the series enough. We've been thinking through a number of big questions. Um, big questions that come up in our lives today, in our culture today. And some of them, we're calling them modern questions. Some of them are not just modern questions. They've been questions throughout time, but particularly relevant for us today. It's been a bit of a roller coaster so far, so let me just refresh your memory. Or if you weren't there, let's see if we can cover some of the ground that you might have missed. So to begin with, Brogan, um, he opened the series with the question, what is my purpose? And he was thinking about how we all have this collective purpose together as humanity, to tend the garden, to do everything we do to the glory of God, as well as how each of us will have some specific purpose um, that will be revealed to us if we're willing to ask for our life. It might develop and change over time, but something that God has placed on our hearts to do. Then Ben asked the question, is getting cancelled the end. And thinking about the way that in our culture today, uh, one false move can see you fall from grace and be totally irrelevant forever. Is that the way God works? I don't think it is. And that's what Ben was, um, was exploring. So rather than falling from grace in a second never to return, Ben expressed something of how the cross and the gruesome killing of Jesus on it was the ultimate cancelling. And yet... Jesus is very much alive today, you know, in, in that rising from death to life. Jesus brings hope to all of us and offers us a chance, a chance no matter what we might have done to live again. Terry then dealt with who defines me. So it's not what others say about you that matters, but, but rather the opinion of the one that created you. Jesus has a destiny for your life that's way beyond anything you could imagine. Whatever you think of yourself, God wants to see you flourish. Flourish into the man or woman that he has in store for you, that he has had in store for you from the very beginning, before you were even born. Then James asked, is there light in the darkness? The answer was yes. Lee, um, uh, no, that's a typo. Um, he was saying that, in our moment of distress, the pain that others might have caused us, in those moments, rather than turning away from God, oh no, I am, I'm just, I've skipped on. Apologies. Can we rewind for a second? James is talking about light in the darkness. I'm, I'm looking for James to see whether he was looking confused as to me recounting a talk he never gave. Um, 
He was expressing that when you let God be in control of things, that's what puts fun back into life. Far, than, far, far from submitting your life to God and, and following um, his guidance being the boring thing, actually that's what brings fun back into life. That's what brings the light into the darkness. Then we had Lee. That's why I misread Lee, because I was just reading the wrong bit. He was exploring, can I forgive? And I think that's a big question. I often see interviews after um, uh, someone who's been terribly wronged, uh, perhaps outside of court, is asked, how do you feel about this conviction? And they say, well, I'm really glad. I could never forgive that person. Can I forgive again? The answer was yes. Lee said that in, a, in, in our moan of, stress, if, of distress, if in that moment we, um, rather than focusing on the pain that others might have caused us, if we turn away from God and get bitter, that's not the way we should go, but rather we should turn towards God and get better. If we press into God's mercy and forgiveness for each of us, then we can unlock the forgiveness for others that often seems hard to find. And then last week, we carried on the journey. Ben looked at reconciliation. Is it possible? Hey, it turns out it is. Stepping on from forgiveness and into reconciliation is even more costly. Costly, but not impossible. Ultimately, the example of Jesus shows us that far more than forgiveness, and that forgiveness that we often talk about in church, which is, which is great, and we should forgive, and we are forgiven, but beyond that, God reconciles himself to us. It's not just that what we've done has been forgiven when we say sorry, but it has been somehow undone. He has reconciled himself to us. He treats us as holy, as sons and daughters of the king, even though that's not what we deserve. In the context of that example, for each of us, reconciliation with one another becomes a whole lot more possible. Wow. So what a journey that we've been on. And in all of it, we've been looking through this story in the Bible from the very beginning, um, the very first book in the Bible from Genesis. Uh, a big old book, uh, and it talks about Joseph, in the second part of it. That's what we've been looking at. He of the Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. I should go back through the talks. I should just check. I think Technicolor will have been mentioned more times than possibly ever before in a series of talks. But actually, that's not the main point of the story, though that's what most of us think because of Andrew Lloyd Webber and that wonderful musical. The main point of the story was not Joseph's coat. In fact, Arguably, the main point of the story is this week's talk title. The question is, can God bring good out of evil? And one of the reasons that I've given such a big recap of the past few weeks is that um, when we look at the story of Joseph, of an irritating youngest brother sold into slavery by his older brothers, which is quite an extreme response, who on realizing what had happened, those, younger, those older brothers rather thinking how much trouble they would be and they then lied to their father, claiming that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. When we think of that, there are plenty of evils so far even. Can good come out of those evils? The way that Joseph often behaved and the way that his brothers responded to him, 
the reality of the grief that Joseph's father felt and the lie about Joseph's death that he believed, all of those are surely things that we could call evil. They're not good. But can good come out of it? Most of us will be well familiar with the, the potted recap that has happened every week so far um, of the story of Joseph. So uh, I, I'll try and do the same thing. Um, he was sold into slavery, into a, a wealthy household in Egypt um, after his brothers had um, had that little uh, altercation that I mentioned earlier. And he becomes quite an important member of that household, um, of the staff there. But then the wife of his boss, boss tries to seduce him. And he was so, uh, she was so offended when Joseph says no to her, her advances that she then accuses him of inappropriate behavior and, and he's put in prison. Then in prison, he becomes an important part of the culture there and, and makes friends and becomes kind of elevated to, I guess, like um, an administrative leader within the prison. Um, and uh, he makes friends with some of the highest ranking officials of the king of Egypt, of Pharaoh, who happened to be having a little spell in there because that's what Pharaoh liked to do to people that frustrated him. And eventually those connections pay off and he's summoned before the king to interpret a dream. This is a gift um, that Joseph has been given by God. He interprets the dream, predicts a massive famine and manages to persuade Pharaoh um, into employing him as prime minister, the second in command of the whole of Egypt. The famine stretches across the whole region, the whole Middle East. And his brothers, who by now think he really is dead, his brothers come begging to Egypt for the food that they no longer have access to in their own home. And through a hilarious set of missteps, they're all reunited. Joseph forgives his brothers. He's reconciled with them and makes a space for them to live in prosperity under his rule in Egypt. Something which, though it wasn't the right moment for it, Joseph had predicted before the whole story began. Joseph had been told by God before the whole story began. And after 17 years after that story, Joseph's father, Jacob, who's also called Israel, is close to death. And just after he dies is where we join the story this morning in the final chapter, in chapter 50. Thank you so much for indulging me in that enormous recap. Um, but now we're going to read some scripture. So if you have a Bible with you or you've got a phone with you, you can look it up. Just Google Genesis 50. Um, and we're going to be starting from the first verse, from, chap, from, from verse 1, reading um, the next 21 verses. If the chapter and verse markers in a Bible confuse you, don't worry. They're really just there for us to reference it. They're not part of the original text. So once you hit 50, let's just go from there. Let me read it to you. So Genesis chapter 50, starting at verse one. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned him for 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, if I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb that I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. 
Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. A lot of people. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor at Atad, near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, the Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. And that is why the place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizraim. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Mashpelah, near Mamre, which Abraham had brought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of your God, of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you're looking at your watch, well, let me join you. I'm thinking it's getting a little bit close to halfway through the talk and we've only just begun. Don't worry. There was a method in the madness. It was entirely on purpose. There was such a long introduction. Here at the end of the story, we have the line that in many ways sums up not only the whole story of Joseph, but the entire story of humanity and God. In verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So spoiler alert, that is the answer to the question. The answer to the question, is there light in the darkness? Can I forgive? Is reconciliation possible? All the questions find their solution and their yes in the story of God and his people that we read in the Bible. Joseph's brothers followed a well-trodden path of broken promises in the story so far. To be clear, not the promises of God being broken, but the promises they made. 
the promises that humans make to God. Where God, however, is always able. He is always a promise keeper. We, on the other hand, can't help but go back on what we say. Just look at your classic politician. The promise is there, but when the time comes to follow through on it, all too easily the promise is broken. And it's not just politicians, though we would like to think that. It's, it's us as well. Who here can honestly say that they've never failed to follow through on something? Even, even if it was just you didn't quite do it exactly how you said you would. The same thing happens with us. And it's our own self-obsession, the way that we as humans always fall into the trap of putting ourselves, not just above others, but above God as well. And with so often in the Bible, there are several layers going on in the same story, occurring at the same time. Several layers of redemption, of forgiveness, of reconciliation. And um, we've heard about all of those in the past few weeks. At the micro level, at this specific part of the story, we see something sad. The death of a loved one, of Jacob's uh, sorry, of Jacob, who's, who's Joseph's father. He's the patriarch of this large family. Um, you saw um, how many people were going to his funeral. I mean, I think probably bigger than Queen Elizabeth. Enormous numbers of people traveling between countries, not just you know, from Scotland down to London, but across countries for a guy that isn't even of the nationality that they're from. But this sad thing, this death, this evil, seals the good purposes of God. It solidifies the position of Joseph's brothers in safety and significance in the land of plenty. The story so far, they were starving. They had to go to what they, who they didn't know was Joseph and beg that they could buy food just to stay alive. And then... I think I call it a hilarious series of missteps. Lots of things happen, but eventually Joseph is revealed to them as their brother. And they're in this safe place now with enough to eat. And uh, Joseph gives them land for their livestock and a place to live. But this part of the story, the death, the sad thing, the death of the father, becomes the ceiling of the good in it. It's the final moment of full reconciliation in the family. And whether it's technological advances in the midst of the Second World War, or perhaps um, the way that we have lots of medical expertise and the ability to fix lots of um, medical problems. But when technological advances occur in the war, lots of people die. Lots of bad stuff has to happen in order for the good to come out of it. And the same, every medical advance has been laid on the foundation of someone having sickness or illness, of someone not making it in order for that advance to happen. Just as we see that pattern in the world, just as there are stories that we probably have in our own lives, so we see that story here. something that maybe has more of a soft impact. Um, my, um, my cousin and her fiancé are here this morning. I haven't warned them that I was going to just flag that. Um, but maybe you can see if you can 
recognize them. Sorry for that, Charlie and Ryan. Um, and, and go and say hello afterwards. But we, we don't see loads of each other, um, which is mostly due to uh, a lack of proactivity, to be honest, on, on everyone's part. But four years ago in January, the whole of my family, uh, my immediate family and um, extended family, gathered together um, for my, my, my dad's funeral. And understandably, it was a difficult moment. His death came after a slow decline with prostate cancer. But there was something galvanizing, something about that bad and sad situation that became good in the gathering of us all together to remember my dad. And we wouldn't have been there had it not been for that sad situation. But also from my perspective, it was a moment to remember the whole focus of my dad's life, which was Jesus. Many people heard about Jesus and the life-giving faith that dad had in him because the illness that he had spurred him on to do that. Days after he was diagnosed, and bear in mind that was you know a year or so um, or more before he died, he had this urgent desire to go and tell everybody he knew to say goodbye. And so he went around town. He used to have all these people that he knew, these shopkeepers. He went to the Granger Market loads and he knew, like, knew by name loads of these people on these stools. And he went around saying, oh, I've, got, I've got cancer, I'm going to die, I need to say goodbye. And anyone that had not yet heard about Jesus, he told them. They heard about it because it was the most important thing. What makes a man at the end of his life in pain, but with a long, tough road of treatment ahead of him, focus not on himself, but on the eternal state of the souls of others? I'm pausing because it's really hard to speak without wibbly-wobbly voices. Please don't feel sad for me. I get very emotional um, when I talk about it, but I don't really feel sad. If anything, it's quite inconvenient because I just want to be able to say the things I've written down. Um, but when everyone's stony, silent, and worried that I might just collapse into a pool of tears, it makes it a worse. It was only the good of God that my dad knew for himself that made him focus on other people rather than himself. And at the end of his life, Jacob, also called Israel in this story, Joseph's father, recognized the profound redemption, not only of himself, but of the entire wayward family that he represented. He made his final acts all about securing the good, the grace, the mercy, and the redemption of God from the jaws of evil and selfish desires of the human element in his family. He was setting up a future, a future which we now benefit from. Now, for what seems like the majority of my conscious life, Though um, I bear in mind that we often don't remember things as accurately in hindsight as, uh, as we think we do. My dad and I really didn't get along. He was often tricky, read, irritating, 
Um, he would say the wrong thing. He wasn't particularly sympathetic. He wasn't the example of a dad that I would tell the people to be. I found him a difficult father to have. But out of that difficult relationship, where I sometimes found it very hard to see the merit in it, he, along with my mum, gave me the single most valuable and significant and life-giving thing possible. They introduced me to Jesus. And he has been my best friend every day of my life. So lots of people um, grow up in church and then there's a moment that they um, become a Christian. I've never had that. He's just always been my best friend. And that was example to be by my father. There were many things that he didn't get right, but that was one of the things that he really, he really did. If that alone for me was a, a case study, a proof of God bringing good out of evil, not only the death of my father, but a broken relationship, something which, though I tried to phone him every day, even before he was diagnosed, sorry, every week, even before he was diagnosed, um, we just never managed to fix it. If he can pull out of that, if God can pull out of that something positive, then that is a proof that God brings good out of evil. There are plenty of other stories that I could share, but time is ticking on. So in my notes here, I always write useful things in my notes like share story you thought of, which is not always that helpful. Um, but here we're thinking about the gospel. So if you don't know, the gospel is a word that just means good news. It's the way we Christians, it's our like special lingo for talking about the Christian message. Um, and the story of Joseph really is a preview of the story of Jesus. The great grandsons of Abraham, you heard of Father Abraham, had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. The patriarch, the one to whom God gave the promise that through his offspring he, offspring, he would bless every nation. Abraham's great grandsons, the brothers of Joseph, they're not doing so well at carrying out the blessing bit but they are redeemed from within themselves by Joseph. Joseph redeems the whole family from the least likely place, from the point of weakness and out of persecution comes strength and victory and a blessing for all. The whole known world, Egypt and beyond, at that point for the people there, that was the world, was having a famine, was going to die. But through the foresight and diligence of Joseph in storing food, the world survived. And later, the whole of humanity is redeemed from within itself by Jesus. We are fed through the ultimate famine, through death and evil in the world, by what Jesus has won for us. So here's the gospel. I never do myself the favor of actually writing it out. I just write share gospel in my notes. Um, and the truth is that the gospel is simply that word, good news. And what's good news about the story of Jesus will be different for every person at any given moment. There's a core truth that, that remains, but the thing that will hit you that will be the truth, the good news today will be different 
But in general terms, here we go. God created the world. He put everything in it. He put people in it. And he set some really simple, positive guidelines to help people flourish and grow and live well. But we were tempted and followed through on that and put ourselves above God. This is sin. Sin created a barrier between us, a, a relational problem. Just as when we wrong someone in our family or one of our friends, there's a relational problem. There's a barrier. There's something which stops us being able to communicate properly. Well, we did that with God. That's sin. When we put ourselves not just above others, but above God. There was a lot of stuff that God put in place to try and help us to repair that relationship, to make us uh, clean enough, for want of a better word, to be able to interact with him, to have that relationship again, to walk again with our Father. But none of it quite worked because we could never stick to our end of the bargain. And then he sent his son, he sent Jesus, who is God. And Jesus, though he did nothing wrong, never did the sinning that we do, never put himself above God. He still died. The one thing that's a consequence of sin is death. And the one thing that the sinless never deserve is death. But Jesus, though he was sinless, died for us so we don't have to. Not only that, he's raised to life. So he doesn't just die and fix the problem but he redeems us, reconciles us, and brings us back into this powerful relationship with God. That's the saving of many lives that I read in verse 20 of the passage today. Not just the people of Egypt and the surrounding area, but the saving of many lives that God is now doing is everybody today who comes to know Jesus, who um, meets him and discovers what it is to have a relationship with him. <laughs> My next point says, more good points. Perhaps that's the first time that you've heard that story, or maybe the first time you've heard it put in that way. And I wonder whether there's an evil in your life that seems unredeemable, something that you think about yourself, maybe, that seems unredeemable, or, or possibly something you're going through or have been through or, or are still going through that, the, that, that just seems to have no hint of, of good amidst the bad. Even if it's not that bad and you wouldn't call yourself a bad person, you're pretty kind, you help people out here and there, but you feel like there's just something more there's something like a level you've not unlocked in life. A level of satisfaction, a level of purpose. Perhaps you see in yourself what the Bible calls sin. I, I don't mean that you're necessarily committing terrible crimes, but putting yourself before God or before others. A kind of habitual background self-centeredness. No one likes to think of themselves like that. I certainly don't, but it's still true of me. Will I enjoy this? Is this good for me rather than others first? 
I wonder if there's an evil in your life that you would like good to spring from. I wonder if something of the story of Joseph can be true of your life. I'd suggest that Jesus is the way that that becomes possible. I wonder if I could invite the band back up. Now, I love to invite people into my, um, my notes, as I have done, so that you can understand the panic that I'm filled with. It says, invite band up, key point summary, one bullet point, yes. So I think the key point is, can God bring good out of evil? Yes. Yes, he can. Not only can God bring good out of evil, but that is exactly the business that God is in. That's what he's doing all the time. Out of death, particularly the death of Christ, the death of Jesus, he brings life. Out of the hardest things in your life, the things that leave you um, feeling low, the things that leave you in despair, out of those, Jesus calls you. Out of those bad things he calls good.